Acts 2, 1 through 13. All right. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. So as um, our sister Christy uh, said earlier today, today is part three of a four-part sermon series that we've been going through. And the topic is the promise of the Holy Spirit. For the last two weeks, we've been talking about what does it mean when God said, when Jesus said he promises us us, his disciples, his followers, the Holy Spirit. And so in the first week, I preached a message that encouraged us all to desire the Holy Spirit. We're not just to tolerate him, but we are to desire him. Second, it was to honor him. So we don't neglect him and we don't use him, but we honor him as a person of the Trinity. And then lastly, we are called to partner with the Holy Spirit. And so it's this idea that he's more than just a concept. He's more than just an afterthought. He's more than just like, you know, a tingle in your spine, you know, when the ambience is right. He is actually a person that is worthy of our worship and he deserves love, honor and obedience. And last week, Pastor JP, he preached on the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he spoke about how it is the Holy Spirit that seals us as a down payment. He used the analogy of an engagement ring. He is the engagement ring for that final day when we are united with Christ. And how the Holy Spirit brings conviction. He empowers repentance and brings sanctification into our lives. You and I can't become more and more Christ-like with every day unless the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. It's not just self-discipline, although that really does help and it's important. It's not just willpower. It's not just, oh, I'm going to commit to this and I'm going to stick to this. It's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives to lead us to repentance and greater Christ-likeness. And so he talked about the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as a follow-up to that, today's message is on the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's a separate, it's a different kind of ministry. Of course, there's always going to be overlap, but let me explain it to you this way. If the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit, if its purpose is to bring about the fruit of the spirit so love patience kindness long-suffering like all of that that is the fruit of the spirit the empowering ministry of the holy spirit is to bring about the gifts of the spirit there's fruit 
and there's gifts. Fruit and gifts are two different things. There's indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit and there's empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, two weeks ago, when I shared, you know, when I started us off in this journey, I talked a little about what my journey has been like regarding the Holy Spirit particularly. There was a, a long season of my life where I was a bit ashamed of the Holy Spirit. Where it feels like when I tell people in certain Christian circles that I believe in the Holy Spirit and he still moves in miraculous ways, I feel like I'm telling someone, like, I believe in Santa Claus. I believe in the tooth fairy. Like, it feels like, oh, it's a little embarrassing and I'm an adult and I should have kind of grown out of these beliefs somehow. And I kind of feel a little embarrassed. Uh, but that's just something that I need to be working through and actively battling. There's still a part of me that's kind of embarrassed about the Holy Spirit. And so this has been a long journey for me to finally embrace and really need and cry out for the Holy Spirit. You know, I went to uh, a very conservative seminary in the States where they don't really talk about the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. They talk a lot about the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit, but not really the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, especially when I talk to certain people in certain circles, um, I feel especially embarrassed to talk about the Holy Spirit. But if I can have a quick nerd moment, okay, just a quick seminary nerd moment, there was this one moment of revelation in one of my classes um, that gave me a lot of clarity regarding what my reservations were regarding the Holy Spirit. And it was in a class where I didn't expect it. It was in a missions class. So I took a class that had to do with about world missions. And in this class, these are two concepts that will make you sound super smart if you learn these. One is contextualization and one is syncretism. So I don't know if you guys can follow me. Can everybody say contextualization? One more time. Contextualization. It feels like a, like a tongue twister, right? It, it, all that means is when the gospel goes into any given culture, the gospel itself has to be contextualized in a way where it can communicate gospel truths into that cultural context. Does that make sense? So, for example, when the gospel goes, when the gospel, for example, came into Korea early 1900s, and they were, you know, translating the Bible and they were talking about Jesus is the bread of life. Back then, bread of life didn't mean a whole lot. You know how it's translated in Korean? Thok. Thok. Rice cake. Right? Jesus is the rice cake of life. Right? And when we have communion here in Korea, it's very common to do with thok, right? Not just with, with bread that's made with, you know, flour, but with, with rice, rice cake, thok. Right, And so that's one of the ways in which the gospel is contextualized here in Korea. It, the important thing about contextualization is that it cannot water down or alter the purity of the message of the gospel. So if it did something where it alters our understanding of the gospel, then that's no longer contextualization. That is syncretism. Syncretism is when one or more beliefs are melted together to form something that ends up not being fully Christian. Let me give you one more example uh, of when the Bible was being translated into certain parts of Africa. You know that there's uh, passages in Scripture that says, you know, um, he, uh, that, that God will make you as white as snow. 
Your sins are forgiven and you're made as white as snow. There are people, groups in Africa that had never, ever seen snow in their entire lives. So like, there's no, not even a language word, like a local native word for snow. So how do you translate that? They translated it as, he will make your, your, though your sins were as scarlet, he will make you white as wool. Because that was the closest thing that would capture that concept in their language. Because if you were to put snow, first of all, they didn't have a word for it. And second, it didn't bring any clarity to what the message was going to be about. So, that's another case of contextualization. Now, syncretism is not a good thing. Contextualization is good. There always needs to be a certain amount of contextualization as long as it doesn't compromise the message of the gospel. Syncretism, though, is bad. Syncretism is contextualizing to the point where the integrity of the gospel is compromised. Where it waters down or alters the gospel message. Now this is maybe a talk for some other day. But in many ways, in certain streams of Christianity, even here in Korea, where you get a sense that, oh, maybe there's a little bit of Confucianism that is kind of woven into the gospel. Or shamanism that is woven into the gospel. That's syncretism. That's, that's not just contextualizing the gospel to Korea. It is, it is compromising the integrity of the gospel. It's altering it in a way where it changes the meaning of it. And that is syncretism. So it's not a good thing. Okay, why am I saying this when I'm talking about the Holy Spirit? There was this random, really dry and boring book that I read in this class that mentioned very slightly this you know, this thought, and it really got my, my wheels turning. And it was, you know, contextualization, it attempts to communicate the gospel through word and deed to be able to establish a church in ways that make sense to people in that, gospel, in that context. But could it be that when the gospel is translated into our modern day kind of Western mindset, Culture, could it be that this overly empiricist, overly naturalist view of Christianity is a form of syncretism? What does that mean? You know, in our modern day, when you think about, hey, supernatural things, things that cannot be replicated through the scientific method, something that's not empirically proven, you cast doubt on that. You say, well, that's kind of like thinking about the tooth fairy. That's kind of like Santa Claus. That's like stuff that I don't really know how to feel about. And so, in some ways, when the gospel is being contextualized to our modern day Christianity, a lot of the supernatural elements are watered down in a way that compromises the gospel in order to fit into this mind uh, worldview of hey there's no such thing as supernatural stuff that's like for kids hey there's no such thing as you know miracles that's for kids hey there's no such thing as you know uh, god working in ways that don't make sense in a scientific world that is you know for kids or for loony people out there it's it's a form of syncretism it's not biblical does that make sense am i making sense no yes okay so for me when i read this all of a sudden I realized that I was not viewing the Bible rightly because I was taking out parts that I didn't feel very comfortable with because they didn't agree with my cultural view. Supernatural doesn't exist. 
Like that stuff is like for, for crazy people out there. And so I would find that I would dissect the Bible in ways that kind of adapted themselves to my worldview because that was what made me more comfortable. And so there are parts of the Bible that I just, oh, that's just kind of like allegorical or, or that's a metaphor or that's, you know, that didn't really happen. And once you start going down that road, you can explain away a lot of the supernatural parts that are very much part of the Bible. And so I had to repent of that. I had to realize, wow, like I thought I was kind of like neutral and I didn't have a bias and I thought I wasn't really tainting or warping the Bible to fit to my worldview. But I realized when it came to the Holy Spirit particularly, that's one point where I did that. Where oh, there's parts of the Holy Spirit that make me feel really uncomfortable. And so when my belief and what I'm comfortable with is on one side and the Bible's on the other side, the part that won out for me was what I'm comfortable with. And I would discard parts of the Bible. And so this is so important for us to think through because often our beliefs about who the Holy Spirit is and what He's able to do Today, it has less to do with the Bible, it's more to do with our worldview. We don't measure and we don't understand the Holy Spirit of Scripture, but we are measuring Him and expecting different things from Him just because of what we are culturally acclimated to. And so for me, that was a really big revelation because I realized that I wasn't very biblical in my understanding of the Holy Spirit and he needed to repent of that. So with that in mind, now let's turn to the passage in the Bible that Christy uh, Christy read for us. This passage is the turning point in the story of these disciples. The Bible says that after the death and resurrection of Christ, he appeared for them for 40 days after resurrection in a resurrected body. He appeared for them for 40 days before ascending into... He literally like, started floating up into heaven. Disciples were like, what in the world? And he just flew up into heaven. That was ascension of Christ. That's 40 days after his resurrection. And there was a period of time between his ascension and the Pentecost. It's about 10 days. 10 days in between where Christ had told them, don't... Go ahead. Don't go out and do ministry. Don't go out and spread the gospel until you've received power from on high. So for 10 days, they gathered every day diligently, not knowing when the Holy Spirit would come, and they waited upon Him. In the passage that we read today, it talks about this monumental, life-changing, earth-shattering, historical moment where the Holy Spirit, the the third person of the Trinity, came down upon 120 people who were in that upper room, baptized them, came down upon them like tongues of fire, and they were filled with the third person of the Trinity as they spoke in tongues. All All the difficult names to pronounce that Christy read for us, in all those different languages. So they spoke in Roman, in Arabic, in Median, in Cappadocian, in Phrygian, in languages that they had no idea what they were. And they looked drunk because onlookers not only identified like, oh my gosh, I hear, I, I, 
I am hearing my own language coming from them. And not only did they identify different languages being spoken, but they also accused them. Oh, like, wow, they've had so much wine. It is like what? It is like one o'clock in the afternoon and they're already drunk. That's what they were saying. This part of the story. Now, it was such a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit that it boggled people's minds. And this led to the preaching of the gospel in power. Now, what the Holy Spirit in his empowering ministry does, it's three different things. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does in his empowering ministry is it changes the person. The empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit changes the person. So in this passage, we see the exact turning point for the disciples who turn from this cowardly, self-protecting, inarticulate group of men to a courageous, unstoppable, church-planting, gospel-preaching, city-overturning, miracle-working force for the advancement of the kingdom of God. The transformation was so profound that who they were completely changed. Immediately after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Peter gives his first sermon. His first sermon where, you know, he didn't, he was still, you know, a fisherman. He had been walking with Jesus for three years, but he was still, didn't have, you know, a certain upbringing. He didn't have a seminary degree. He didn't practice preaching, but this was his first sermon and 3,000 people came to faith. 3,000 people. That's a whole lot of people. That takes more than just gifting. Or like, hey, I'm going to prepare really hard for this sermon. It requires a very profound change in a person to get that kind of result. Peter wasn't just inarticulate. He wasn't just cowardly. It's the same guy who couldn't withstand questions from a girl by a fire when Jesus was being crucified. It was the same person who, like a little girl, asked him, like, aren't you the guy who went with Jesus? Like, no. You know, three times denying him. It's the same guy. The same guy who couldn't even withstand the questions from a little girl by a fire. He would be one who would be faithful to Jesus all the way to the end, even unto a martyr's death. He'd be so filled and so changed, so profoundly transformed that he would go on to live a life of ministering, prophesying, healing, preaching, confronting, and ultimately even withstanding persecution to the point of death. That was how profound the change was in this man. It was a turning point. Let me challenge you with this. He, did he already believe in Jesus? Yes. He was already a disciple. He was already a believer. But this point in history that is called the outpouring of the Holy Spirit still very profoundly changed him in such a way that he was not the same person he was hence. He had already been a disciple. He already believed, but he had not yet been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not just unique to the Bible. This still has happened throughout history, and this happens even today. Now, part of my journey, as I told you, I really didn't believe in a lot of supernatural Holy Spirit stuff for a really long time. 
and I went to a very conservative evangelical seminary, one of the things that I took upon myself to do while I was in seminary, it was to write papers on charismatic things. I don't know why I did that, but I mean, the reason why I did that, it wasn't to just be a troublemaker and instigate things. The, the, the reason was, like, I actually want to believe why I believe these things. And if it is in the Bible, then I'm going to research it. I'm going to write papers on it. And so I wrote papers on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, women in ministry. Like, I, I, I researched all these different things. And as I was researching for these things, I came upon a very interesting discovery. Many conservative evangelical figures in history, people that you wouldn't really link to a charismatic movement per se, they had very charismatic experiences of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you've heard about the Great Awakening in the States, there are certain names that come to mind, like Charles Finney and George Whitfield, all these different, you know, Jonathan Edwards, all these names that are very widely circulated, even in non-charismatic circles. When you look through biographies and autobiographies from these men, they will recount a moment where they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They sound, they're very bad evangelicals. They don't sound evangelical, right? They actually tell about this time when they were actually baptized in the Holy Spirit. So for example, Charles Finney, who was a very um, successful and widely known preacher, he writes, as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. Without any expectation of it, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy. He was already a preacher by then. He was already, you know, an important figure by then. And yet he went through the supernatural experience where the Holy Spirit came upon him and he was not the same person afterwards. Same thing with this guy called D.L. Moody. And so as told by one of his friends called R.A. Torrey, all these guys have you know, initials for first and middle name. Anyway, D.L. Moody, this is what happened to him. The power of God fell upon him as he walked up the street. So he was just like going on his way somewhere. And the power of God fell upon him. And he had to hurry off to the house of a friend and ask that he might have a room by himself. And in that room, he stayed alone for hours. The Holy Ghost came upon him filling his soul with such joy that at last he had to ask God to withhold his hand lest he die on the spot from very joy. This was a person who, you know, he was already, again, same thing. He was already preaching. He's already ministering. And yet he had the supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit. And after that, he was never the same. Very similar to Jonathan Edwards as well. I remember, you know, reading some of his own accounts. He said he literally had, you know, a manuscript of, of messages that he preached before. And he could read the same manuscript word for word. But after experiencing the Holy Spirit, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, he could preach the same message word for word, and people would come weeping, repenting to the aisle, to the front, to receive Christ. And for him, he was, out of everybody, he was the most dumbfounded. He was like, I preached the same message three weeks ago. <laughs> like, 
Like back then, it was like, I think it was a good message, but not this good. He's looking at people coming in droves, accepting Christ. And so over and over, I came across these firsthand accounts and testimonies of men that probably you would never think of as like, oh, they believe in the supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't automatically think that. But you hear these testimonies of these people that you admire so much and you see them doing so much incredible work for the advancement of the gospel and you can trace it back to a moment in their lives when the holy spirit encountered them powerfully this is so there was this was so key to my understanding because i was seeing the result and yet not giving credit where credit was due it was because of the holy spirit that their ministries were so fruitful it was because of the Holy Spirit that people came in droves to accept Christ. It was because of the Holy Spirit that entire cities were overturned. It was because of the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit that transformed this, these men of God and these women of God. And God was able to use them in such power. So the first thing that the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit does is it changes the person profoundly. Even for myself... For a long time, I was a believer and a Christian, and I think I was a relatively good Christian, but then years into it, I had an experience with the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you that everything changed for me then. I didn't know what I was missing until I experienced it. I didn't know that I was, I was settling for much less until I experienced the Holy Spirit for myself. And I know that for myself, I've never been the same ever since it's not just for these 120 people that were waiting in the upper room that the holy spirit is there for also for every believer ever since and even today it is for us as well he is able to change us profoundly the second thing that the empowering ministry of the holy spirit does it enables the spread of the gospel in power. You know that the spread of the gospel, it requires more than just good oratory, you know? It doesn't just require, hey, I'm going to work however many hours and crafting a really great sermon, and through this, people are going to come to Christ. It requires more than just effort, more than just natural talent and gifting. It requires a whole lot more than that. It requires the anointing and empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. In the following verses from the passage that we read, we can read towards the end of that same chapter. It says, now when they heard this, when they heard Peter's sermon right after getting baptized with the Holy Spirit, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They heard this message that wasn't just the words of a man. It was anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And their reaction wasn't, well, let me think about it. Well, maybe I'll take it into consideration. The impact was just so profound. What can I do? How can I repent? How can I turn to Christ? That was their immediate reaction. Brothers, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, repent be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself 
And so after this, those who received his word, they were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's how you go from 120 people to 3,120 people after one sermon. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables the spread of the gospel in power. I think we would be way too arrogant to put all that burden to spread the gospel just on our own skills and our own training and experience and our own effort. The gospel is not going to move forward unless there is an empowerment of the Holy Spirit to bring that gospel, to cut deep into hearts and to bring about the repentance that is required. The empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit, it enables the spread of the gospel in power. It wasn't Peter's meticulously crafted sermon that brought 3,000 souls to salvation that day. It was the raw power of God working through a surrendered vessel. It was the Holy Spirit anointing and filling this humbled and restored man that made himself available to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, it changes a person. It enables the spread of the gospel in power. And lastly, it enables the building up of the body through the gifts. It enables the building up of the body through the gifts of the Spirit. There are gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit to the church. And they're not for you, per se. They're they're given to you, but they're not for you, if that makes sense. They are for the edification, the building up of the body. They are to bless someone else. They are to encourage someone else. They are to bring courage or correction to someone else. It's for the sake of someone else. And so when we think about the gifts of the Spirit, we need to know from the beginning, it's not about me. If I can preach, if I can prophesy, if I can sing, if I can whatever, if I can bring healing, it's not about me. It's for the body. It's for someone else. The gifts are not for your personal glory. They're not for your bragging rights. They're not to elevate someone over someone else. They're for the building up, the edification, and the building of the body. The undercurrent to every gift is service and love. This is so important. The undercurrent, how you operate in your gifts, the undercurrent of that is service and love. It is not personal glory, and it's not building up a platform. It is not so you feel more spiritual than someone else. It is for service and love. And this is something that we need to emphasize over and over and over again Because we people, we humans, get so easily enamored with gifting. Often we see somebody who's gifted, and we make assumptions. They must be very close to God. They must be very mature in the spirit. They must be, you know, we make all these assumptions solely based on gifting. Gifts don't come from you. They're from God, and they're for the edification of the body. And just because someone's gifted, they're not necessarily displaying the fruit of the Spirit. They might be displaying the gift of the Spirit, but not the fruit of the Spirit. Does that make sense? We can't, we can't confuse those two different categories. 
And so the driving force of every gift that is given from God is service and love. You know, I was very skeptical about the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit until somebody blessed me through one. I remember I walked into, um, you know, a prayer meeting way back in 2008, and I was still very suspicious. I was like, these people are nuts. Like, I I don't know if I want to be their friend, but I'm just going to show up. I'm going to give it a chance. I showed up to a prayer meeting, and they had this thing where they just had an activity. They're like, okay, we're all going to pair up, and we're simply going to ask the Holy Spirit, Spirit, give me a word to encourage this person. And that's what we did. And I was like, oh, whatever, you know, uh, I came on the wrong day. And I was paired up with somebody that I didn't know, and she didn't know me. Her name was Sunny. And, you know, she just, you know, held my hands and, you know, she prayed in silence for a little bit. And then she began to pray out loud. And what she prayed, somehow, I don't know what it was, but it really pierced my heart. And it... And it, like, it, it really built me up and encouraged me in such a way. And it was such a specific prayer and such a specific word that it wasn't just that I felt loved by Sonny. I felt loved and seen by God. Like God knows my circumstances. He knows exactly what word I need to hear. All of a sudden, God became so close and so real to me. And after that, I was like, okay, maybe this thing is real. Right? But it's only after I had been ministered to by somebody else. And I can tell you over the years, this has happened over and over and over and over again. The reason why I'm here today, the reason why I've been through some very interesting things in my journey with the Lord, but the reason why I'm still standing here today is because I've been built up and edified by believers that have come alongside me and have ministered to me through the gifts of the Spirit. When there were seasons in my life when I needed so desperately to hear from God, there would be a brother or a sister who would come alongside and say, like, hey, you know, it just came to mind last night when I was praying, and this is what I feel like you know, the Lord wants to say to you. And in that moment, when I can hear God for myself, I would feel so edified, so built up, so encouraged and seen, because someone chose to step out and minister to me through those gifts. Over and over and over again, there'd be people who'd come to me and like, hey, you don't know me, but, and they would share, you know, graciously, they would share. And I would walk away from these moments feeling like God's got my back, you know? God sees me. He knows exactly what I need to hear. He knows every single one of my circumstances. I haven't told people about this, and yet he's giving words of encouragement to someone else to build me up. And that's the reason why I'm here today. It's not because... I'm very strong, or it's not because I'm very persevering. It's because brothers and sisters in Christ took it upon themselves to minister to me, to build me up, to encourage me along the way, to take a chance. Hey, this word might be wrong, but just take it, you know, just take it and pray about it. This is, you know, something that I feel like God spoke to me about you. And it would be in those moments where I would just feel like God breaking through the fog, breaking through the silence and speaking to me in such a particular and specific way that I knew God was there with me in that moment. Over and over and over and over again. I know I'm here today because the body loved me and encouraged me and ministered to me.
Here's the thing with spiritual gifts, especially with supernatural spiritual gifts. It takes courage and it takes dying to yourself to minister to somebody because you have to put yourself out there. Because you could maybe be wrong or you could be rejected. It could be not well-received. It could be the wrong time. There's so many different things that are going to be an obstacle when you want to minister and edify somebody else. And yet, man, when you take courage and you die to yourself and you say, you know what? It's more important to me that you get edified than for me to save face. That's the moment when God just moves in such supernatural and powerful ways. It takes courage and dying to yourself in order to minister and edify someone else. How many times, let me just ask this question, how many times have you felt kind of like you've gotten a word of encouragement for someone else, but you kept it to yourself because you were afraid that either you were going to be wrong or it wasn't going to be well received? How many times have you done that? I know I've done it countless times. Like, man, I feel like they haven't told me about anything they haven't really shared and I could be completely wrong and uh, I think uh, I think I'll just wait uh, I think I'll just yeah how many times have you stopped yourself from praying for someone's healing because you were afraid to be made a fool when somebody's in pain how many times have you hoarded these gifts that God hasn't given to you for your sake but for the sake of someone else but you, out of fear, out of whatever the case may be, you just keep it to yourself and the person goes on being discouraged or the person goes on being in pain, whatever the case may be. It takes courage, a trust in God and a willingness to be wrong to be able to minister to somebody else. Man, one last story. Because I think this might speak to you. I remember... Again, it was 2008, and I remember I was just learning about what it means to pray for supernatural healing for someone else. And I was like, oh, man, it's, uh, that's, that takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of courage. I don't know if I'm ready for this. And I remember, you can take this for what it is, okay? Like, you know, if it messes with your mind, don't think too much about it. I remember I was going home on the subway with a friend. And um, it was really crowded subway, and the friend had somehow managed to sit. And so I was like, you know, like grabbing the rail right in front of them, and we were just talking. And you know, they they shared like, hey, I'm actually, I've been having a really really bad toothache for the last three days. I don't know, like I don't know what it is, and you know, I'm just like in a in a really really like in a lot of pain. And in that moment, I was just standing there, and I, and I start feeling. I started feeling my hands get very hot all of a sudden. And I was like, that's interesting. It must be the blood flow. And it switched my hands. And, you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> try to rationalize it. And my hands still keep getting really, really hot. And I'm like, this is so weird. I'm not hot. And I think the temperature is right. And I don't know. Maybe this is the Holy Spirit saying I should pray for them. Uh, but it's like people are watching. And like... I don't know, what would this mean? And there's no healing, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, I talked myself out of it and I just continued on like nothing was going on. And I just couldn't shake off this feeling. And then finally I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, if, if you want me to pray for her, um, you're going to make the person sitting next to her leave 
so that I can sit next to her. So I was like basically fleecing God, right? I was like, if you really want this, you're going to have to make a way for it. you got to confirm for me. And so I was like, the, the person sitting next to them in this really crowded subway car is going to get up, and I'm going to be able to sit with them, and I'll, then I'll pray for them. And what do you know? <laughs> the person got up and got out. And I sat down. I was like, okay, fine. Okay, okay, Holy Spirit. Okay, you went away. Fine, fine, fine. I'll pray for them. And I was kind of like very nervous. I was like, hey, um, you know, like five minutes ago, five minutes ago, it had already been five minutes. Five minutes ago, you said that you're, you're, you have a tooth pain. Do you think I could just pray for you? And um, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I would love for you to pray for me. And then I just, you know, put my hand on like on the side that was hurting. And I prayed this really short prayer. And then I let go. And I just continued on our conversation like nothing had happened. And <laughs> like, because I didn't want to know if anything happened or not, you know. And um, so like maybe 10 minutes after that, um, I was like, oh, so by the way, is your tooth still hurting? And they're like, oh, no, the moment that you touched me, it kind of left. And I was like, what? (laughs) You didn't tell me? And uh, like the whole point of this story, it is God wanted to bless her. God wanted to give her healing. And instead of putting the healing just onto her, he put it on someone else. And he's like, you get to love her. You get to minister to her. You get to edify her. Now step out in faith and do that. And if I had, you know, after all that fleecing, if I had said, you know what? This is cuckoo. I don't want any part in this. I'm just going to go home. Too bad for her toothache, you know? I could have gone on with my life. But I, was, I felt like it was one of those instances where God was very clear about, it's not about you. It's not about you looking the fool. It's not about you taking a chance or not. It's about her healing. Would you be loving enough to put your pride aside, to put your fears aside and minister to somebody who's in pain? And that was such a learning opportunity for me because after that, whether people got healed or not, I would constantly be praying for people because who knows? Who knows? If this is going to make the difference between pain and no pain for someone, will I not step out? Will I not put myself out there just to be able to have an opportunity to bring healing to someone else? That was such a huge learning uh, opportunity for me because I realized then that I had made the gifts about me and not about edifying the body. And so I'm hoping that this encourages you in some way. We all have fears. There's nothing special about it. No one is like, I am going, you know, like... Everybody has fears. Everybody cares about what someone else thinks of them. Everybody has some measure or another of fear of stepping out or a fear of being wrong, all of those things. Everybody has that. But the question for us is, will you still step out anyway? Will you still love anyway? Will you still put yourself out there anyway? And who knows, maybe God will move. And so these are the three things that I want us to think about when we think about the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit, the three things that we need to do in response to this is, number one, we need to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Simply ask. Sometimes we're waiting for our understanding to catch up, for us to have all the mechanisms and all the things like our ducks in a row before we begin asking. And I don't know if that day is ever going to come when all your ducks are in a row. Simply ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you've never experienced it. You have nothing to lose. 
nothing to lose and everything to gain. And if you've already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, ask for an infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's the case with me. Like I was baptized in the Holy Spirit years ago. I still need to be filled with the Holy Spirit over and over and over and over again. And I need to be reminded that that one time, it just wasn't enough. I need to keep asking for more of the Holy Spirit. So ask for the Holy Spirit. Second thing is earnestly desire the gifts. There's obviously many cautions to this. It can very much become an idol or make you arrogant. It can confuse people into equating maturity with gifting. Um, It can lead to self-serving platforms. It can lead you to dishonoring the Holy Spirit by using Him. All those things. Yes, we need to take these cautions to heart. But the solution isn't to avoid it altogether. The solution, according to 1 Corinthians 13 and 14, it is pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. It's not or, it's and. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Those are the words not of Susie Park, they are of Paul. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. There's something there. It doesn't give us the license just because we're unsure or just because we don't have everything figured out yet to step away and forfeit something that is there for us and for that vacation of someone else. We don't have the license. We don't have the permission to simply step away because you don't have everything figured out. So we ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We earnestly desire the gifts. And lastly, we make Love your ultimate goal. Goal, The goal of everything, it needs to be love. It's not if you ask for these things. It's how and why you ask for these things. So let it be love. Let it be to edify the body and glorify God. Let it be where we decrease and God increases. It is for the sake of love. So let me ask you this question. Do we need deep inner transformation i know i do i need deep inner transformation and i need the empowering ministry of the holy spirit i can't sidestep that do we need to see the spread of the gospel then we need the empowering ministry of the holy spirit i cannot do it on my strength you cannot do it on your strength we need the empowering ministry of the holy spirit and do we need to see the building up of the body Do we need to see believers being strengthened and encouraged? Do we need to see healings? Do we need to see breakthrough in our circumstances? Do you have people in your house church that have shared prayer requests with you? And you would love to see them get breakthrough. You'd love to see God moving in their circumstances. Then we need the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. Just good intentions and empathy is not going to do it. We need the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. And I'm going to ask us, you know, this question. Two questions, actually. One is, why do we so easily settle for less? Why are we just content where we are? You know, like, oh, I've seen enough. I think I know enough. I feel experienced enough. I think I'm good. Why do we so easily and so quickly settle for less? When the Bible calls us to earnestly seek, earnestly pursue, ask for more. God is good. He's generous. He wants to give more. 
but you're so content with where you are. I know that's where I am most of the time. I'm like, oh, okay, I think I'm good. I think I, I'm done asking. I think I don't want to seem ungrateful. I don't want to seem incontent, uh, discontent. I think I'm going to stop asking for a while. And I get so easily content and so easily settle for less. When maybe God wants to give so much more of himself. He wants to be a, so much more of a part of my life, my every day. And he hears me saying, no thanks, I'm good. I think I've seen enough. I don't think people around me need encouragement. I don't think people around me need a breakthrough. I'm okay with where I am right now. Why do we so easily settle for less? That is my first question. And my second question to you is, what are we so afraid of? What is it that we're so afraid of? I know for me it's very clear. I'm afraid of not being in control. I'm afraid of, you know, letting go of the reins and letting the Holy Spirit move in ways that maybe I don't understand. I'm afraid of how people will see me. I have very different, you know, multiple reasons why I'm afraid. And so that's that question that I'm asking you today. What are we so afraid of? If he is good and if gifts are good, then what are we so afraid of when we ask? Luke 11, verses 9 through 13, it says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Speak, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If we're asking for something good, God's not, not going to be like, you know what? You asked for something good, I'm going to give you something sucky. I'm going to give you something that's going to damage you. I'm going to give you something that's going to hurt you. What kind of God do we think we worship? He is a good father. If we know how to give good gifts to one another, how much more will God bless us? How much more will God give of himself to us? How much more will God want to bring breakthrough in our lives? How much more will he fill us with the Holy Spirit? It's a faith issue. It's a trust issue when it comes down to it. If there's fear, it means that what we fear is something that we believe in more than God's goodness. So I want us to close our eyes. And I want us to just take a moment to bring these two questions before God today. Why am I so easily settling for less? Why am I so content with where I am? Why have I stopped asking? Why have I stopped dreaming? Why have I stopped believing that there's more? Why have I become so complacent? 
And our second question, what am I so afraid of? What is it that makes me freeze when I'm about to ask? What is it that makes me hold back? What am I so afraid of? closed don't think about your neighbor don't think about the person that's next to you just keep your eyes closed I'm gonna ask us simply to stretch out our hands in a receiving posture as a simple act of faith and begin to ask begin to seek begin to knock Pray the simple prayer. Holy Spirit, I need more of you. 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 to deal with my fears big enough to deal with my hesitations and my doubts we say that we need more of you today 